Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. Amen, 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 amen. If you could hop to your feet real quick for me. Come on, let's put our hands together for Jesus on this wonderful morning. All of our first-time business, uh, my name is Pastor John. I'm the lead pastor of this wonderful two-and-a-half, almost two-and-a-half-year-old church. Um, God has just been phenomenal to us in a very short amount of time. And so I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be the pastor of this wonderful group of people. But all of our first-time visitors, just thank you so much for uh, making the decision to come and worship with us on, on this glorious morning. Outpouring family, put your hands together one more time for all of our first-time visitors. Um, some of you came and some of you pressed your way because you saw um, our advertising that it's going to be talking about dating today. And um, you want to get your boo on. And so that's why you came to church. But whatever the Lord needs to use to get you here is fine. I don't really care. I don't really care what drug you here. I mean, it's what it is. You know what I mean? Um, but anyway, I'm going to talk about this today, and I will say this on the front end, that this is not all-encompassing. This is not a one-size-fits-all. This is not a cookie-cutter approach. Um, this is not a 10 points on how to perfect the, the art of dating. Actually, it's not that at all, but my, my prayer this morning is to give you a, um, a biblical perspective on what dating should look like in its all, all of its original intents and purposes. Um, statistically... Statistically speaking, uh, for the first time in U.S. history, more than half of the population is single. Everybody's single, right? And so, uh, and, and it's amazing to me that the half, over half of the population is single, but we have, and we live under this false premise that we're closer together and connected because of social media. There's more ways now to get with somebody, but less people are with somebody. And in addition to that, um, people are waiting longer to get married. And so hopefully there are some things in this passage that we're going to read today um, that will give all of us some insight on what dating will look like. Even if you're married, um, this will still help you and give you a biblical basis to work for, because at some point, uh, work with at some point, you're going to be uh, the parents of somebody who's going to grow up and date. And there's nothing even worse than a child navigating its own way through the dating process and the parent is nowhere to be found. And so hopefully we can get insight from that today. We on podcast and to all our podcast listeners, thank you for listening. Um, but I would love to have my bar stool back, sir. <laughs> and the reason why I want my bar stool today is because we're going to read Genesis chapter 24, which is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. So it is 67 verses long. So here's what's going to happen today because I'm going to uh, invoke my pastoral privileges. I'm going to sit and read. Y'all going to stand and read. I'm just kidding. Just joking. You guys may be seated. You can, you can be seated. I'm just kidding today. Just messing with y'all. Genesis chapter 24. And for many years I've read through the Bible, but this, um, I don't know why this particular chapter of the Bible escaped me, but it is, it is a jewel and it is a, an amazing an amazing story, an amazing love story. It's almost it, it, it's almost perfect. Um, but there are many things that we can take from this. So I'm going to be reading from 
the New Living Translation, Genesis chapter 24. It'll be on the screen. And so I'll start reading. I'm going to read all 67 because this will message will be in two parts. So part one will be today to give us a basis to work from. Next week, part two will give us more of a practical approach to it. Genesis 24. Abraham was now a very old man. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. One day, Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh. Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives and find a wife there for my son, Isaac. The servant asked, but what if I find a young woman who is who is willing to travel? So what if I can't find a young woman who is willing to travel so far from home? Should I then take Isaac there to live among your relatives in the land you came from? No, Abraham responded. Be careful never to take my son there. For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. He will send his angel ahead of you and he will see to it that you find a wife there for my son. If she is unwilling to come back with you, then you are free from this oath of mine. But under no circumstances are you to take my son there. So the servant took an oath by putting his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham. He swore to follow Abraham's instructions. Then he loaded ten of Abraham's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts from his master, and he traveled to the distant Aram Naharain. There he went to the town, the town where Abraham's brother Nahor had settled. He made the camels kneel beside a well just outside the town. It was evening, and the women were coming out to draw water. O Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed. Please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master, Abraham. See, I am standing here beside this spring and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says yes, have a drink and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother Nahor and his wife Milcah. Rebecca was beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up again. Running over to her, the servant said, Please give me a little drink of water from your jug. Yes, my lord, she answered, Have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. When she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels, too, until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all his camels. Here's what this brother did. The servant watched her in silence, wondering whether or not the Lord had given him success in his mission. Then at last, when the camels had finished drinking, he took a gold ring for her nose and two large gold braces for her wrist. Whose daughter are you, he asked. And please tell me, would your father have any room to put us up for the night? It's not what you're thinking. And I am the daughter of Bethuel, she replied. My grandparents are Nahor and Milcah. Yes, we have plenty of straw and feed for the camels and we have room for guests. The man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. Praise the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham. The Lord has shown unfailing love and faithfulness to my master, for he has led me straight to my master's relatives. 
the young woman ran home to tell her family everything that had happened. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban who ran out to meet the man at the spring. He had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist and had heard Rebecca tell what the man had said. So he rushed out to the spring where the man was still standing beside his camels. Laban said to him, come and stay with us. You who are blessed by the Lord, why are you standing outside the town when I have a room all ready for you and a place prepared for the camels? So the man went home with Laban, and Laban unloaded the camels, gave him straw for the bedding, fed them, and provided water for the man and the camel drivers to wash their feet. Then food was served. But Abraham's servant said this, I don't want to eat until I have told you why I have come. He's showing intentionality right off the jump. All right, Laban said, tell us, Abraham's servant, he explained, and the Lord has greatly blessed my master. He has become a wealthy man. The Lord has given him flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle, of fortune and silver and gold and many male and female servants and camels and donkeys. When Sarah, my master's wife, was very old, she gave birth to my master's son and my master's given him everything he owns. And my master made made me take an oath. He said, do not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go and stay to my father's house, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son. But I said to the master, what if I can't find a young woman who is willing to go back with me? And he responded, the Lord in whose presence I have lived will send his angel with you and will make your mission successful. Yes, you must find a wife for my son from among my relatives, from my father's family. Then you will have fulfilled your obligation. But if you go to my relatives and they refuse to let her go, you'll be free from my oath. So today when I came to the spring, I prayed this prayer. Oh, Lord, God of my master, Abraham, please give me success in this mission. See, I am standing here beside the spring. This is my request. When a young woman comes to draw water, I'll say to her, please give me a little drug, drug, a little drink of water from your jug. If she says yes, have a drink. I will draw water for your camels, too. Let her be the one you have selected to be the wife of my master's son. Before I had finished praying in my heart, I saw Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water. So I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and said, have a drink and I will water your camels too. So I drank and then she watered the camels. Then I asked, whose daughter are you? And she replied, I'm the daughter of Bethuel and my grandparents are Nahor and Milka. So I put the ring on her nose and the braces on her wrist. Then I bowed low and worshiped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, because he has led me straight to my master's niece to be his son's wife. So tell me, will you or won't you show unfailing love and faithfulness to my master? Please tell me yes or no, then I'll know what to do next. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, The Lord has obviously brought you here. So there's nothing we can say. Here's Rebecca. Take her in and go. Just get out of here. We're tired of her. Yes. Let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard their answer, he bowed to the ground and worshiped the Lord. Then he brought out silver and gold jewelry and clothing and presented them to Rebecca. He also gave expensive presents to his brother and mother. Then they ate their meal and the servant and the men with him stayed there overnight. But early the next morning, Abraham's servant said, send me back to my master. But we want Rebecca to stay with us at least 10 days. Her brother and mother said, then she can go. But he said, don't delay me. The Lord has made my mission successful. Now send me back so I can return to my master. Well, they said, we'll call Rebecca and ask her what she thinks. So they call Rebecca. Are you willing to go with this man? They asked her. And she replied, yes, I will go. So they said goodbye to Rebecca and sent her away with Rebecca's with Abraham's servant and his men. The woman who had been Rebecca's childhood nurse went along with her. They gave her this blessing as she parted. Our sister, may you become the mother of many millions. 
May your descendants be strong and conquer the cities of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her servant girls mounted the camels and followed the man. So Abraham's servant took Rebekah and went on his way. Meanwhile, Isaac was home in the Negev and returned from Beer Lahai Roy. One evening, as he was walking and meditating in the fields, he looked up and saw the camels coming. When Rebekah looked up and saw Isaac, she quickly dismounted from her camel. Who is that man walking through the field to meet us? And he replied, it's my master. I told you I was going to hook you up. I told you I was going to like what you saw. I told you. I told you. All you had to do was follow me. I'll lead you to the promised land. So Rebecca covered her face with veil because she covered up. This time, you know, it's my man. I got to cover up for him. Then the servant told Isaac everything he had done. And Isaac brought Rebecca into his into his mother Sarah's tent and she became his wife. He loved her deeply and she was a special comfort to him after the death of his mother. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. God, I just pray you would give us clarity that you would grant us grace as we study your word, Father. Lord, we just pray that you would remove all of our flesh out of the way, God, and let us think with wisdom. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us as, as we listen, and as we contemplate on your word, Father. So, Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let me say this at the outset. Um, this is not to answer every dating question. This is not going to be for everybody. But I want you to take principles. Um, for those of you that may not know, the end goal and the purpose of dating is marriage. The end goal and the purpose of dating is marriage. It's not to satisfy your temporary loneliness. Because I'll say this at the outset. If Jesus does not feel you now, your spouse will not feel you. That hole and that void will still be there. Marriage is not an end-all, be-all to fix all of your problems and solve all of your issues. It will only magnify them once you get married. But with that being said, I want to give you a definition of what marriage is. And this is um, from the book Reason for Marriage by pastor and theologian Tim Keller. Here's what Tim Keller says. Marriage is a lifelong monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. According to the Bible, God devised marriage to reflect the saving love for us in Christ, to refine our character, to create stable human community for the birth and nurture of children, and to accomplish all this by bringing the complementary sexes into an enduring whole life union. Here's a problem with the Bible. In the Bible, there was no dating because marriages were arranged. But even in that, there are some principles here for us in this passage for single people and married people. You see, the premise of this, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 12 when God made this promise to Abraham, Isaac's father. And he made this promise to him. He told him that if he would leave his country, he would leave his kindred and he would leave his father's house, that he would make him a great nation, that he would bless him and that he would make his name great, that Abraham would be a blessing. And the key thing in that is that through him, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. And so Abraham knew that, that if I have this blessing from God, that God, that that I have a responsibility to God to pass this blessing along to the next generation. And so this is a generational thing here. And so when Abraham receives this word of blessing from God, he does not have a son at the time. And if you know the story about Abraham and Sarah, they wanted a son, but they got impatient. 
And so what happens? Abraham sleeps with the maidservant. Her name is Hagar. And they have a son by the name of Ishmael. And Ishmael is causing us problems even to this day because of a a decision that Abraham made prematurely. But God's grace is sufficient. How many of you know God's grace is sufficient? God still gives them the promised son. and And then comes along the miracle baby who is Isaac. And so now Isaac is here. And Abraham in this text is in his old age. He's possibly about to die. And he has this promised son. But there is one problem that is permeating throughout this story. His son is not married and he cannot pass along this blessing from God unless his son has a wife. So the overarching theme and the problem in our story, the problem in this movie right now is what we have to solve is that Abraham is that Isaac does not have a wife and his father is about to die. And so his father wants to ensure that his son gets married to a wife of his choosing. And so here's the thing. Something in the story has to happen. Some things have to fall in place. God has to be involved in the process and people have to take action. And so the main theme of this story is God's providence and human responsibility, God's providence and human responsibility to respond in faith. And so here's my first point for the Christian. It requires faith to date. It requires faith for you to date. It is our faith coinciding with God's timing. And so here it is. Abraham is in his old age and he needs to find a find a wife for his son. So he makes his servant take an oath by putting his hand under his thigh. Now, I know that sounds creepy and it weirds you out. Another man putting, a, putting his hand on another man's thigh. When I make a promise with my buddies, I don't say, dude, put your hand under my thigh and promise you're going to help me out. I don't do that. But for them, this shows the, this shows the severity because this was a way to take an oath in the Old Testament. And so it highlights the severity that Abraham knows I must Get a wife for my son. It is that important. And so here's the thing that we see when he talks to the servant. He gives him some stipulations or as we would call it, non-negotiables. And can I suggest to you, if you are dating or you are thinking about dating, non-negotiables are good. Non-negotiables are good, but you first must understand and know what your non-negotiables are. If you do not know what your non-negotiables are, then you will end up someplace that you have no business going. And so with the non-negotiables, he sets them in place. And here's what he says. Number one, she has to come from my homeland, which means she has to come from the family and the household of faith. She has to come from the community of faith. I need to know that this girl comes from God's from God's lineage. See, Abraham was from uh, the lineage, the messianic lineage. And so he wants the wife or his son to come from that same household of faith. And so that is important. Secondly, he puts another stipulation. She cannot come from the land of the Canaanites. And so if you look back in Deuteronomy chapter seven, God tells Israel that they cannot intermarry with Canaanite women. Because they would turn their sons away from worshiping the one living true God. And so Abraham's rejection of the Canaanites signifies God's rejection of the Canaanites. And so I want you to see something here. Although marriages were arranged in the Bible, here's what we see. Here's the principle for you and I. And they don't arrange them anymore. And that's a good thing that we have a choice. Um, But here's the thing. We see parents and family playing a role in the courtship. And so as parents... They serve a vital role or should serve a vital role in helping their children to find a spouse. 
And so for some of us or some people in the room, we don't have that opportunity because maybe a parent is not there or a parent was absent or a parent is not present or a parent is not really that wise or a parent is immature. But the ideal thing is for a parent to be a part of the process and provide wise and mature advice for their son or daughter as they find a spouse. And so children should also choose wisely and maturely about involving your parents in the process if your parents are fit to be involved in the process. Now, I know that it's not a cookie-cutter approach, and some of us come from different backgrounds and different family dynamics, and some of us come from more dysfunction than others, but if you have mature, wise family, if you come from a marriage uh, a marriage scenario that was successful, and your parents modeled a godly marriage in front of you, if you have parents who are faithful, then your parents should be a part of the marital process for their children. And so here's the thing that Abraham is trying to do when he tells him that he doesn't want him to marry a woman from the Canaanites. Isaac does not want his son to be hooked up with somebody that worships a different God. If he is a Hebrew Israelite and you are a Christian, it won't work. He's a Muslim. I'm just praying that God will change his heart. I will tell you this like I heard it before. You shouldn't be on a date doing evangelism. If you got to evangelize the person in your car, the person that you're on a date with, then y'all probably don't need to be together. And the church said, amen. So here's the other thing. Abraham is leaving his son a hefty inheritance, both materially. Remember, he said, my master is wealthy. So he's leaving his son a lot of material wealth. But most importantly, he's leaving him a spiritual inheritance. And so he has to ensure that his son will not get with somebody who will not take care of value or diminish what his father gave him. Should I suggest to you that you should factor that into the process? Is the person that I'm with going to diminish or devalue the thing that God has given me? Are they adding to or taking away from my faith? Are they making me stronger? If she is a woman, is she coming alongside me and we are glorifying God together? Or if he is a guy, am I leading him or is he leading me? Am I praying more than he is? Am I dragging him to pray or is he leading me to pray? Am I dragging him to church or is he dragging me to church? That matters. That matters because what will happen is you'll get frustrated and aggravated. But what will happen is your flesh, your loneliness will override your common sense and the spiritual check you have on the inside of you will tell you, well, just keep praying. God will change his heart. But you don't need him to practice on you. And so you have to ask yourself, this inheritance from God, you can't just share that with anybody. Because this has to be passed down. And Abraham, we see, is safeguarding his son. And see, marriage was sacred in the Old Testament. And for us as new believers, marriage or or nor dating should be done with unbelievers. You cannot pray him into Christianity. You cannot make him more or make her more spiritually mature than than they already are. If you don't maintain your spiritual pedigree, you will suffer for it. 2 Corinthians 6 and 14 says this, and you know the scripture, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. To join with an unbeliever will distort your life. 
It will distort your life and ministry. And you can't tell me, well, well, that's all right. We can just kind of keep it separately. Do you know that certain parts of your life because of who you hang around will be significantly impacted and they will influence your thinking and your decision making process if you hang around them long enough? And I see it happening. I see it happening. But Abraham is telling his son, no, you can't do this. I put too much on the inside of you. God is giving you too much. We come from good heritage. We come from good stock. And so we can't mess that up intermingling with somebody that is not like us. You can't be with a pagan. They worship something completely different. And marriage is supposed to glorify God. But how do we glorify the one living true God if he believes something else and you believe something else? How is that going to work when you go to church and he stays home? How is that going to work? How can two walk together unless they agree? How? But I feel you. I know what you're thinking. Whoo, the dude I like, he ain't no Muslim. He ain't no Hebrew Israelite. He ain't even no Buddhist. He go to church. He's a Christian. He goes to church. But let me deal with Christians who date other Christians who are not spiritually mature as you are. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he go to church. I'm safe. Woo. No, you're not. If you know that God has a specific assignment on your life and God is using you and he or she is just a nominal average Christian. And they do nothing more than enter into the building, into the church. That's still unequally yoked. You got the call of God and he does not. God is using you and God is not using. She's just doing whatever. She's just averaging in her walk with God. You praying and you fasting, you involved, you serving in ministry and they could care less about it. It's an afterthought. That's not going to work. You guys got to be walking together. You have to be walking together, fulfilling God's call and purpose for your life. And here's the thing about it. There's no picture perfect scenario or ideal. No, it's, nothing is picture perfect. But what it is, is dating and marriage is two sinners getting together. Two sinners getting together. And so here's the thing. It is not a pursuit of perfection, but it is a mutually flawed pursuit of Jesus. Here's the thing I want you to take away. Both people need to be pursuing God. Both need to be pursuing. Both need to be in an all-out pursuit of giving God the glory in their lives and being used of God. One of you can't be in an all-out pursuit and one of you are indifferent about it. That's not going to work. You will be frustrated. You'll be frustrated. Think about this. God's using you. God has called you to something. And the other person is saved. They're a Christian. But how, how would it be to live in a house with somebody that's jealous of you and what God is doing in your life. Or they feel like they have to compete with God for your time and attention. Now, understand that there is balance there. But what I'm saying is this. You need to be with somebody who is walking alongside you, who understands what your call is. You understand what their call is. See, marriage is not about somebody completing you. He completes me. He meets all of my needs. Marriage ain't about somebody completing you. It's two people complimenting one another. It's not about completing. It's about complimenting. It's about complimenting. And so here's the thing. Um, 
this, this book of Genesis is all about this promised seed. It's all about the promised seed. I told you time and time again, what is the Old Testament about? Who is the Old Testament about? It's about Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Marriage is a type and a shadow of Jesus' relationship with his bride, who is what? The church. So marriage is not an end-all, be-all. It is a type and shadow. And so here's the thing. The offspring is is supposed to reproduce the faith of the father. The offspring is supposed to reproduce the faith of the father. We are both supposed to be together to represent the kingdom of God and mediate God's blessings in the earth. That is what we're supposed supposed to do. So here's the problem. Here's the problem in the text. You and I have access to the story, right? We know how this thing plays out. It's a wonderful, beautiful story. But these people don't have access to the end. They're living it in the moment. And so here's the thing. Providence comes into play. And here's why it it requires faith to date. The servant asks and brings up a very serious point. He understands that in dating in this situation to find a wife, it is not going to be easy when you have stipulation and you have standards. It is not going to be easy. And so this is the type of pursuit. If you're pursuing godly relationships and godly dating, it is going to have some roadblocks. And he says in verse number five, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Should I then take your son back to the land from which you came from? And so the servant brings up a very valid, uh, a valid point. What if she's not willing to come? What if I find her? What if she looks like we wanted to look? What if she has the pedigree we wanted to have? What if I find them? What if they are not willing to come with me? What if I find a person and they're not willing to come? And so here are the questions of God's sovereignty and dating. And the theological questions is this. How is God going to get this? I know God has promised it to me. I know know I'm called to be married. But how is this going to work out? How is God going to Carry out these promises. Who's going to be my spouse? What, what, what if I make a mistake in the process? What, what, if, what, if, what if he finds this potential spouse and they say thanks but no thanks? What if you find that person and they're like, I'm good? No, this, these are real questions. These are real questions. What if the person's family does not agree with them marrying you? What if their family roadblocks there and this person uh, uh, really puts a lot of weight on what their parents and their family thinks? This is stuff that actually happens. So where do we find God in this? God has to be sovereign somewhere. But here's the thing. When the roadblocks take place and we're using our faith in dating and we meet roadblocks and things are not working out, we have to take a page from someone that has experience. And what better person to look at this situation than Brother Abraham? And watch what his response is in verse 7. He says this to the servant. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who swore to me to your offspring, I will give this land. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Abraham sets the precedence by firmly planning the Lord in the process of dating. He sets the precedence for us. And so what he's doing is exuding and he's exemplifying faith. He knows that he does not have all the answers. He does not know who. He does not know why. He does not know how. He does not know when. All he knows that God has worked things out in my life before. So if God worked out other areas in my life before, then surely God can work out this dating situation in my life. That God would not leave me high and dry, put these desires in my heart, and just leave me and hang me out to dry. If God has worked out in other areas of my life, I have to have the faith that God can come and touch this area too. And so he sets this precedence. 
And the thing that I love about Abraham is that he learned from a detrimental incident and a mistake mistake from his past when he wanted to have a child so bad and him and his wife could not wait to have that child. So they got outside of God's will and they slept with the maidservant and they had this son by the name of Ishmael. But the beautiful and wonderful thing that I love about our gracious God, and if you look over the tapestry of the Bible, what you see is a providential God who comes in and steps in and overcomes all of the human mistakes, all of the human setbacks, all of the human wisdom stuff that we've done, all of the people that we got together with. And God still remains faithful and true to his promises, regardless of how many mistakes or dumb dates you've been on in your life. No matter how many relationships did not work out, no matter how many mistakes you made, God was still faithful to the promise of Abraham and still gave him what he promised him in spite of Abraham. Can I suggest to you that God will still do what he said he would do in spite of your mistakes? Don't you know you serve a God that knew you was going to make the mistake before you made it? And he still keeps his promise. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who does not penalize us for the dumb mistakes we made in relationships? Man, God is more faithful than we could ever be. God's grace is sufficient for you and I. His grace is amazing. And so here's the thing. They're in the story and they realize that finding a spouse can be a long and risky adventure. Dating in 2017 is risky. It is a roll of the dice. Anything can happen. That's why you have to guard your heart with all diligence. But you depend on God in the dating process. It takes faith to date. And so here's what happens with us. We're driven by our passion and not by the promise. You're driven by the passion, but not by God's promise. See, when you're driven and dating by God's promise... You remember what he told you. You remember what he promised to you. And you remember that he's faithful. And so you're willing to wait. But when you're driven by your passion, sometimes you can be like Abraham and bust a move before it's too early. And although God's grace will cover you, you still live with the mistakes. The mistake comes and manifests itself. In your presence, even though God has forgiven you, even though God has given you a second chance. You see, God forgives us, but he doesn't remove the consequences all the time. You're forgiven, but sometimes you live with the consequences. And so there's this whole idea of suspense setting over this entire story. That Abraham, if he doesn't find a wife for his son, how will the promises of God work out? I mean, that's important. And here's why this is important. Because if Abraham does not have his miracle baby, Isaac, he can't continue the promise. And if Isaac does not find a wife, then he can't have a son to continue the promise. You see, you have to realize when we think about the promise and we think about the Old Testament, it points to Jesus. So do you think that God If he made a promise that he won't keep it, do you realize that if Abraham does not have Isaac, then we don't get Jesus? 
that if Isaac does not find Rebecca, we don't get Jesus. And so you're discounting God and you're discounting the fact in your dating relationship because you don't see everything. And you don't have the vantage point as we do to look into Isaac's life and see the end of the story and how it's going to end. That's why it takes faith for us to date. So I said all that to say this. That if you're going to date, you have to depend and wait for God to give you what he promised to give you. And you cannot get out of character. You have to make sure that you're waiting. What are my non-negotiables and what are the stipulations? Because I tell you that hanging out with somebody that just fulfills your loneliness is not going to cut it. Actually, it can lead to a recipe. It could be a recipe for disaster. But when you wait on God and the promises of God, God is true to his word. What's interesting is that he enlists his servant. Abraham doesn't go by himself. He doesn't go himself. He doesn't even send his son Isaac. Abraham sent his servant. And I love, I love the Old Testament because there's so, so many types and shadows. And what I see here is Abraham sending somebody to go forward for him. Somebody with, with wisdom. Somebody that he trusts. Can I suggest to you that the servant is a picture of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit needs to go before you and be all up in the mix and serves as your guide to navigate through the process, to navigate through the peaks, the valleys, the rejection, the, the, the things that don't work out. And we don't utilize the Holy Spirit or ask or depend on him for his guidance in the process. But Abraham sends his, sends his, the father sends his servant to go out to find the person for his son. Do you utilize the Holy Spirit? Because that's what Abraham teaches us. That's what's in the text. And so what I want you to see, and I'm done, what I want you to see is not just the people in the story, but I want you to see the God of the story. The main character in this story is God. Why? Because we see the providence of God working out in this situation. So whether you're married or single, never discount that God is working things out for you. Even things you can't see. And in this story right now, where we stop, Isaac is single. And so is Rebecca. They're both single. They have not met each other yet. But God is working. (laughs) They don't even know each other. But God is working on behalf of both of them. To put them together. But things just have to happen. And things have to be in place. And faith has to be exercised. And so the servant, all the servant is doing to find this person is the servant is being obedient to the father. And so when you're obedient and you operate in faith, God is working on your behalf, even when you cannot see him. Rebecca is just doing her thing. She's just working. She's just there to go to the well and do her day to day. She's minding her business. Isaac, when we find him later on, we find him next week, he's going to be somewhere out in the field meditating and praying. But God was working on both of their behalves and they didn't even know it. Could God be working on your behalf? But you're stressing and you're worrying and you got anxiety and you can't sleep and you're asking yourself questions. Am I good enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I smart enough? Am I in the right place? 
Do I need to move? Do I need to uproot myself? Have my mistakes caught up with me? Is God holding my past against me? And God is like, sit back and watch me work on your behalf. Just have faith. Have faith to date. But God has got to be in the process. It is amazing that we do stuff and we don't take a moment to sit back and say, God, are you in this? Is this, is this, is this me? Or are you driving this process? We could all benefit from taking a step back. God, are you in this? God, are you in this? It is better to take a step back now than to marry somebody and deal with the fatal consequences of something that you will not be able to change. Because marriage is for a lifetime. (laughs) There are no outs. You got to be in it to win it. It's not a shoe you try on and you take it off because you don't like it. This is not Real Housewives of Atlanta. This is not keeping up with the Kardashians. This is not love and hip hop. I know no one here watches those types of shows. But this is real life. And if you are a Christian, then you got too much to do. Your purpose is too great. For you not to take it serious. But you know what? As I close, the beautiful thing is this. That all it is is two sinners getting together. And we will not find a perfect spouse, a perfect mate. We won't. And man, that is so biblical. That is so the gospel. Why? Because the bridegroom is willing to be in relationship and covenant with a sinful bride. And who is that sinful bride? You and I. But he loves us anyway. All eyes closed, heads bowed. Father, we thank you for your word today, God. I thank you for wisdom and insight in your word for your people today. I thank you, God, that your grace is sufficient. And I pray, God, today, after today, God, that we would live in the reality, God, that we're on assignment for you, God. That we would use wisdom, God, that we would lean and depend on you, God, in every relationship, God, married or single, God, that we would depend on you, God, and we would trust you for guidance. And so, Father, let us not shortcut or short circuit the process, God. But let us trust and wait on you, knowing that what you have for us, God, is far greater than anything that we could get on our own, God. And so, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We glorify you. We pray this prayer in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, put your hands together for the word this morning. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. 
You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.